scripture this morning is in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Current. So glad you could join us today. As we continue through the book of Luke, we are looking today at Jesus' second most famous sermon. His first most famous sermon is is undoubtedly the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're looking at, we're getting into the Sermon on the Plain, or as my dad liked used to call it, the Sermon on the Flat Spot. It's a pastor and he knew what the Greek behind it actually means, it's the Sermon on the Flat Spot. If you didn't know this, that's actually how we get the names for these sermons that Jesus taught. In Matthew 5 it says he went up on the mountainside to, to preach. Sermon on the Mount. And here today it says he went off to a level place. It has in our text. In the Greek, it says flat spot. So, Sermon on the Flat Spot, Sermon on the Plain. Uh, This is a very important teaching. There are manifestos out there, there are declarations. Here, Jesus kind of lays out his kingdom living life, what it means to be a follower of his. And we're calling this series Cross Current Living. Uh, today's message is cross, uh, Jesus' cross-current uh, kingdom. Uh, the way you can think about it is if there's a, a river flowing in our society, there's a strong, steady current to go in one direction, at least in regards to different things that, and, and approaches to life. Well, here Jesus says, no, my kingdom's about something else. It's, it's, it's a cross-current movement. In, in some ways, it's beautiful. In some ways, it's challenging, but it's, it's powerful and it's, and it's wonderful. Uh, it's worth noting as we, as we get into this sermon that Jesus really had in mind probably two groups of people. So we see here in verse 17 that there was a large crowd of his disciples there. That's to say a large group of people who were his followers, people who were already in, so to speak, who were, who were I'm, I'm here to follow him. It wasn't just his 12 main guys. It was a, it was a crowd, it was a group of people who identified as, as his followers. And then in the rest of the verse it says there were also a great number of of other people, essentially, from all over, Judea, Jerusalem, even Tyre and Sidon. That's to say there were people checking Jesus out, trying to figure out his claims, trying to figure out what the, what the faith is, is, is all about. And it says in verse 20 that looking at his disciples, he said, or, or this, in, looking, in looking at his followers, he began this sermon. Meaning, as he gives this cross-current kingdom, this way of living, he's thinking about what it means to be a follower of his. So if you're here today and you identify with that second group of people, 
you don't see yourself as Christian, you're, you're trying to figure it out, you're trying to understand Jesus and his claims, you picked a great day to come because at the high level, Jesus is laying it out here. He's like, this is what it means to be a follower of mine. And if you're here today and you are a follower of his, this is a day that we need to really listen into because his cross-current kingdom might seem pretty straightforward, pretty simple in some respects, challenging in other respects. It's in always beautiful and uh, 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 the best way we can, we can live our lives. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you as ever for this time that we can gather in this space Thank you for this Hyatt uh, ballroom that we can meet in and the children in the, in the rooms over there, even the outside patio space and how that works coming out of a pandemic and all the rest of it. What a gift. Lord, we pray that you'd bless the Hyatt and their staff. And Father, as we meet together and, and we come to worship you as we've already uh, sung, uh, but now do so as we, as we look to your word. Father, would you help me get out of the way? Would you help uh, the, this these words not be mine, be, but be uh, of, of you and helpful. And Father, would you speak to each of us where we're at with ready hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, the structure of our text today are blessings and woes. By the way, if you have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or whether you brought a, a physical one, I encourage you to follow along today. I mean, I'd always encourage you to do that. The words will be on your screen, and if you don't have a Bible or you don't want to pull it out or whatever, you can follow along on the screen, no problem. But we're going to be referencing a lot of different things, and it's always helpful just to kind of have it and be able to chew on for yourself. But the structure of today's message are blessings and woes. We see the blessings in verses 20 through 23. And then we see the woes in verses 24 through 26. That word blessing can be translated into English as happy. But almost no translator chooses the word happy because the word is so much fuller than just you know, what we tend to think of when, when we talk about being happy. Jesus is talking about with this word blessing, having God's favor. Or for those of you who are taking note, uh, notes, to be blessed is to have an unshakable joy regardless of circumstances. To be blessed, as Jesus is describing it here, is to have an unshakable joy regardless of circumstances. I shared this a while ago, but I always think of, of, of this group of people when I'm, when I'm thinking about a word like this and what, what Jesus is saying. I've had the opportunity and privilege to travel the world in a number of different places, including parts of the world that are quite destitute, especially when you start to compare it to our way of living here, parts of Latin America, parts of Central Asia. I've had friends who've shared the same about parts of, say, war-torn uh, Africa. And what I've discovered, it's incredible, is Perhaps the people filled with most joy that I've ever experienced before are Christians living in places like these. I'm talking Christians that after hanging out with them for a short period of time, my jaw hurts so much because I'm just laughing and smiling so much. I have to like pinch myself to remind, to remind me that I'm like in this area that's not comfortable by any means. It's rough. It's hard living. Some of the, the greatest joy I've experienced has been in places like these. I think that's what Jesus meant by this word here. To be blessed is, is, is to have unshakable joy regardless of circumstances. That's, that's the joy. When Jesus talks about woe, he says, woe are you who? When he talks about woe, it's not so much a threat, but rather an expression of compassion and just concern. It's like Jesus is audibly sighing here. <laughs> like, oh, you just need to understand, if you go in this direction, though, if you go in this direction, there's something so much better, if you, would, if you would not. 
And it's, it's not going to go so well for you. So I'm, I encourage you in, in this direction. That's, that's what it means to be, to be blessed in this way, to, to, for these woes, as Jesus mentions it. And he gives us four pairs, okay, four coupled pairs, and we'll kind of break them down. They'll be on the screen for you. But the first couple pair to consider are found in verses 20 and verse 24, when it says, uh, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now we can start to see why we're calling this cross-current kingdom. Right? You can already start to understand. He's saying, blessed are those who are poor. Woe to those who are rich. Cross-current kingdom. Now we can already probably understand where that like, impacts us in our culture today. And we'll, we'll get there here. But let's first consider what this must have meant to Jesus' first century Palestinian audience. Okay, because almost everybody back then believed that if you were poor, it meant God was not happy with you. Like that, those two thoughts were linked, poverty and God's displeasure. Or if you were rich, it meant that, well, God was really happy with you. God was, was pleased. Jesus was flipping that notion on his head, saying, no, that's not how it is. You know who's actually blessed? It's the people who are poor. It's the people who don't have the riches. It's the people who are poor who have God's favor and unshakable joy available to them. Now, real quickly, as we get into each of these blessing expressions, as we make our way through this, this text, uh, what most Bible scholars believe is that these blessing expressions aren't in exclusively to be understood in their literal sense, um, but, but to be understood also in their spiritual sense. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, we're supposed to understand that, yes, at a literal object poverty standpoint, but we're also supposed to understand that in a spiritual sense. How do we know this? Well, in one sense, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about a similar thought, he says, blessed there to those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then you also just have all these places in the scripture where there's just really no sentiment that God's not happy with you if you're poor, or vice versa. It's just, it's just not there. Uh, we can take this both literally and spiritually. In fact, I want to use an illustration that I think kind of gets the thought across in, in both ways when we talk about what it means to be blessed are those who are poor and woe to those who are rich. I mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that my dad would from time to time when I was in elementary school take me out of school to, to go to Balboa Park there in San Diego and where there was a lot of homeless people living and we would just go out there and he and a group of other guys would feed them bacon and eggs and just get into conversation with them. And so I developed a heart for loving the homeless. And, and when I uh, moved with my family as a little guy to Berkeley, uh, there's a lot of homeless people in Berkeley. Those of you guys who are from there know. Uh, if you've been there, you know of this place called People's Park. People's Park is kind of kitty corner uh, to where the church that I used to work at and, and go to uh, met. So we're talking basically this untouched like park uh, land that by law developers can't touch in the absolute heart of Berkeley where hundreds if not thousands of homeless any any given year kind of migrate through. So our, our church had, an, had a ministry to the homeless and I kind of helped lead all that, which is to say I spent a lot of time with, with homeless over the years and that sort of thing. And one of the things that really hit me early on as I was starting to do this is, oh my goodness, a lot of homeless people, and I'm not trying to say all, but a lot of homeless people, at least the percentage-wise is way higher than I would have thought, are spiritual and actually, on top of that, also followers of Jesus. And if you get into their stories, again, I'm not trying to say blanket snake and all, but like you get into stories, you find that a lot of them made a decision to follow Jesus late in life, even in the midst of really hardship times and that sort of thing. 
The other thing I learned pretty early on uh, working with homeless and kind of doing that ministry is I kind of went, not in an arrogant way, but just kind of a subtle, didn't even realize I was doing it sort of way, that I was coming with the blessing. I was going out there to serve people. Like, here, I'm bringing the gift. Here, I'm, I'm the one who's coming. And, you know, I'm out there serving and caring for people. But almost every time I left being like, man, I'm the one who's blessed. And real quick sidebar, ask anybody at Current who has worked with our partners there in East Palo Alto uh, at, at Project We Hope. Man, I can't wait for the pandemic to recede a little bit more so we can go serve and care more there. Hopefully we're getting there soon. But you ask any current member who's gone over there to serve the homeless there in East Palo Alto, and you'll find probably the same thing I'm just describing. That is, many will have gone thinking they were going to be the ones being the blessing, (laughs) giving the blessing, only to be the ones blessed. What do I mean by that? Well, you just get in conversations with folks, and you realize they're not just poor objectively, they're poor in spirit, and there's just so much to learn, let alone in a place like the Silicon Valley from somebody who's poor in that way and how it touches you at a relational, spiritual level. You understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who are poor. Now, what was he saying when he said that? Like, let's get down to it. What was he meaning? He was saying to be poor in this way means to be recognizing your need for outside help. And in fact, God will often use, not always, but sometimes use poverty, whether it's literal poverty, whether it's spiritual poverty, whether it's relational poverty, even sometimes to get our attention to help us understand we need, we need to depend on him. We need to look to him. Blessed are you who are poor, Jesus said, for yours is the kingdom of God. We could summarize this by saying, blessed are those who see themselves as spiritually poor, but, but blessed are those who see themselves as spiritually bankrupt, people who understand at the heart level that they don't have it all together or enough in and of themselves. They need outside help. That's what Jesus is saying as he starts out with these, this, these blessings and woes. The second pair reads like this, verse 21 and 25. It says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Now remember, let's put ourselves in first century Palestine and realize that this culture, this society that Jesus was talking about, actually knew what it meant to be hungry. And we can forget that we live in a society of, if anything, overabundance, and that that's a relatively recent thing in human history, and only true in in certain parts of the world even today. While Bible commentaries, uh, excuse me, scholars would uh, say that the primary connotation, of course, here is food, they would would broaden it to help us understand that what Jesus is saying, when he he talks about to be well-fed, he's talking about everything that we would look to for satisfaction, everything that we would look to for even to, to overindulge in. Have, every, have, have any of you guys ever gone on like a shopping spree of any kind? Like just like a personal little shopping spree where you just like went crazy on Amazon one day? You don't have to raise your hand. You just, I don't know what your store or whatever is, you know, I don't know, fries. Is that still around, by the way? I know we have a techie group here. Michael's, Sephora, I don't know. For me, I got to be real careful at uh, Costco. Like I'm walking around Costco, I see a lot of head nods at that. I'm like, you just, ooh, and then you just start, the samples and, and the things in different aisles will just mess me up by the time I get to the cash register. But, but have you ever gone to, like just on the shopping spree, where you, just, you just went a little crazy, you just got a bunch of stuff and you get home and you're just like, ooh, man, this is cool. And maybe it was fun for a little while. Maybe it was fun for a short while, but then you got to the place where you're like, why? <laughs> like, why did I do that? And you realize, oh my goodness, there wasn't really so much there. I almost feel, I mean, maybe that's not you, but maybe you could see the thought there that that's kind of a microcosm of how we can approach life. It's like, man, if I just get that car, or if I just get that house, 
then everything will work out well. We're, we're going through uh, Alpha, and uh, one of the video, in one of the videos, uh, one of the speakers who described himself formally as uh, atheist was talking about his faith journey until uh, to the point where he eventually put his faith in Jesus. He was talking about how he was longing for more in life, and he was just looking for it in different ways, and he, he just couldn't find it. He said, as he was telling the story, I figured, oh, you know, if I could just finish school, then, you know, life will get really happy. I'll kind of arrive and know that that's what, that's what life's all about. And he finished school, and he said, a couple weeks passed, and I realized, no, that can't be it. There's got to be something more. And then he figured, okay, I just got to find a good job. If I could just find a good job, then, then I'll find it all. And he got a good job. And, you know, a couple weeks after that, he realized, no, there's got to be more than this. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a girlfriend. And he like laughed about it in the video. He's like, I don't know how I managed it, but I found a girlfriend. And I realized, he didn't say it this way, but I'm going to help him out. He's like, you know, she's wonderful, but I realized it wasn't everything I was looking for. After a couple of weeks, I was just like, oh, there's got to be something more. And the way he was telling you, he was describing how he had this hunger down inside him that just couldn't be satiated in all the things he was looking to around himself. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. He's saying to hunger spiritually is to long for God, is what, what he's saying. To long for something outside of just the temporal, what's available to us. Because to look for things in this world, well, they're only temporary. Uh, Think of it this way. I mean, this is kind of a thought practice I was doing this last week, thought activity. Uh, could you imagine if somebody from the first century, one of those people in Jesus' audience that day, were to show up and you got to have a conversation with them and just you had it in, in your mind to describe to them all that's available to us in the world today? Like all that you could purchase, all that you could eat, how you could do all that stuff. I mean, I don't even know where I'd start if you were to start to describe like the world today and all that's available. And, and, and all. I don't even know where I'd start probably with somebody who grew up 50 years ago. But it's like, could you imagine first century person? You could like start, start with smartphones. You'd have to like spend like 20 minutes. I don't know. It's like, but just, just imagine that you describe everything, like get through Amazon Prime and how things show up at your doorstep. I mean, it's just like the people are just like, their eyes are just going wider and wider. And you get to the end of it, you describe it all. And they ask, boy, so that probably means everybody's happy, right? It's like, and you're like, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, people are happy and it's cool, but no, no I probably should, tell you, probably should tell you about Twitter. Uh, people aren't all that happy. <laughs> people aren't all that happy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, you could just imagine. They're like, wait, what? Why not? And it's just, I mean, it's true back then, 20, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. It's true today that that stuff can't satiate it. Blessed are those who hunger and who, who for they will not be for they will be satisfied. The only place we can find true satisfaction, Jesus tells us, is in God himself. He's the only one. Jesus declared at one point, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He's saying, look to me, and I can satisfy truly you at the soul level. Come eat, and you will be satisfied. That's the second blessing. Well, here's the third, verse 21 and verse 25. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Okay, there's a lot in the scriptures that talk about joy and happiness and laughter. So Jesus is not saying here, he can't be saying here, you just need to be sad all the time. And if you start laughing and getting happy, you know, woe to you, it's not going to work. I mean, that's not what Jesus is saying. I mean, there's so much in the scripture. That's, that's not, it can't be what he's saying. So what, what is Jesus saying when he's saying, blessed are those who mourn? 
Blessed, actually, even more, even more pointedly, blessed are those who weep. What's he saying? Well, maybe a helpful exercise here is to consider how uh, the times in which Jesus himself wept. In fact, the shortest Bible verse in, in, in all the scriptures is John 11, verse 35, when it says Jesus wept. What was the occasion there? The story goes, and you can check this out more later, John 11, Jesus is told from afar, you know, a, dis- a good distance away, that a friend of his, Lazarus, was fallen sick and was about to die, and everybody was saying, hey, come back to where he is so that you can heal him. Do your, do your Jesus thing so that he doesn't die here. And Jesus says, we're not going to make it in time. He's going to pass away, but don't worry, he tells his disciples, we're going to go, and I'm going I'm to bring him back to life. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to raise him to life. So he goes, and he sees uh, Lazarus' sisters there, Mary and Martha, and they're obviously really sad. There's a funeral processional just happening there. And it says in the funeral procession that Jesus was, in seeing that, moved to his spirit, and then he, quote, wept. Now, Jesus was literally on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead, which, spoiler alert, if you read the end of John 11, he does go on to do. And yet, on the way... To do that, he wept. Why? Jesus wept because the world is not the way the world's supposed to be. Jesus wept because sin and death are operating in the world, and God just detests sin and death. Why? Namely, because of its effects on you and me. God created us to be in relationship with himself. He created us to love him. And if he's going to create us to love him, he's got to create us to choose to not to love him. Otherwise, what is love? And when we chose not to love him, then sin, then death, then pain, suffering entered into this world. And the whole point of Jesus coming into this world was to deal with that. That's why he wept, because of sin and death. There's another time when Jesus wept. He was outside of Jerusalem, and he was getting ready to go in and ultimately head to uh, be crucified. Uh, This won't be on the screen, but this is Luke chapter 19. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Have you ever heard a grown man weep, by the way? Like, these are not, not... you know, soft words. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. We don't have time to get into all of it. What we see Jesus weeping for is the world is not as it ought to be. And secondly, that God sent his son to deal with how the world's not ought to be and be basically salvation for that and people wouldn't receive him. He wept over the world not being the way it's supposed to be, and he wept over him coming to deal with that and people not choosing to receive that from him. That's why he wept. And so when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who, who mourn, those who weep, he's saying to my followers, we need to mourn the fact that the world's not the way it's supposed to be. Not with a sense of moral superiority, oh, I just am so sad for you because you don't have it figured out. No, go back to the first thought. Blessed are those who are poor, right? Poor in spirit. No, if we do that, we're not, not living it out. But, but in a way of just extreme humility saying, man, the world is the way it's not supposed to be, and that touches my heart. Why? Because it touches our Heavenly Father's heart. By the way, Jesus goes on to, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he shares a similar thought to uh, share basically an implication of this that I think we can kind of Uh, rest on for a second. When he says, uh, blessed are those who weep, it's saying we then, implication, become agents of renewal ourselves. We then, as followers of his, work with, join with God in his work to bring renewal into this world. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, you know, become agents of of justice, of, of righteousness, seek mercy, seek peace. 
We're called to do these things as we join God in his love. We mourn, yes, but we work with him to bring about his love through Jesus. The last and final of these coupled uh, pairs of blessings and woes are found in verse, starting in verse 22 and then verse 26. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And then here's the woe. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Again, talk about cross-current kingdom here, right? For one thing, many people have this false belief that the scriptures don't teach. Christians and non-Christians alike, Christians often not at the like overt level, but kind of underneath the surface, will have this false belief that if things are going well for me, God's happy with me. <laughs> And if, if things aren't going well for me, that must mean he's not happy with me. Meaning if you follow God, your life's going to become easier. It's going to become more comfortable. It's going to become less challenging. It's going to be filled with less pain. But that's not what the scriptures teach. What do the scriptures teach? Well, Jesus here, he's not pulling any punches here. He's blessed when people hate you. <laughs> that's kind of different. Blessed are, people when, blessed are you when they exclude you, reject you, insult you because of him. When he says the Son of Man, because of the Son of Man, that he's referring to himself. But Jesus isn't grim about that thought, right? In some senses, if you're a Christ follower, the, 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 the implication here is don't be surprised when life doesn't go well for you or is not super comfortable for you. Don't be surprised at that. But his bigger thought here is you just need to understand that actually it's not so much a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Rejoice and be glad. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. The woe to you here is when everyone speaks well of you. Uh, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. You know, we've talked about now how we've got to be careful when it comes to pursuing things like wealth or food slash material possessions or just happiness in every way, minimizing pain in every way. Uh, now, Jesus is warning us against seeking good reputation above all things, right? He says, woe to you if everybody speaks well of you all the time. You gotta be, you gotta be really careful with that. I mean, seeking a good reputation uh, is, an, is an iffy proposition. Anybody ever like care about what others think of you and like maybe think about that a little too much, right? Uh, it's something we gotta really think about. I liken it, one of the effects of this, I liken it to riding a motorcycle. You gotta be real careful. And by the way, as I get to say this uh, illustration, I am not speaking against... Uh, motorcycles. I can already hear car rides home. Pastor said he's not about riding a motorcycle. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I used to ride uh, uh, motorbikes, or excuse me, electric scooters in China, and I had a few accidents to bring me to the place where I won't ride electric scooters anymore or, or motorcycles. And the reason for that is when you ride a motorcycle or, or scooter, the problem is you're not just taking your life in the skill of your own hands. You're putting your life in the skills of or lack thereof of the other driver's hands. And while they're driving around in their steel cages, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, if they make a mistake, oh my goodness, you're in trouble. If we pursue reputation, what people think of us to a high degree, we make it kind of an ultimate thing. Even if you curate your reputation really skillfully and do it really well, people are still people. And you know what? 
Jesus is actually an example of somebody who had a perfect character, let alone reputation. And yet he was accused at some points where he had to call them out. Be like, you're condemning me, but what, for what reason? You're, you're standing in judgment over me, but, but, but for what reason? Jesus is saying, that's how they love the false prophets. You got you to gotta look to me because only in me will you find your happiness. It's, it's a trap to look to what others think of you. As well as it's a trap to look for life in wealth, in food, in material things, in in finding happiness in every way and minimizing pain. Jesus said, blessed instead are those who hunger now, those who weep when people hate you, rejoice in that day, leap for joy because yours is a joy that's unshakable regardless of circumstances. Uh, Let me ask you a question. If you're here today and you identify with that group of people that Jesus was talking to that day, the people who don't identify, uh, didn't identify as his followers, people there who were just checking him out, checking out his claims. If that's you, first of all, welcome. In many ways, we started Current with you in mind. We say every week that Current is a community following Jesus together. You're welcome wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. We're all on a spiritual journey. You belong here. But let me ask you, if that's you, and you're like looking in at these statements that Jesus is making about what it means to be a follower of his, Do you ever ask, do you ever wonder, is there more to life than this? And then let me ask you, do any of these teachings that Jesus puts out here resonate for you? Because the world teaches back then, 2,000 years ago, and today, go out, get some money, get rich, get food, get, get some material possessions, try to maximize laughter or minimize weeping, Curate that reputation, get people to like you. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the, the kingdom I made you for. Because those things are of a strong current that will suck you in and suck you away. And Jesus is saying, I have something better for you. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And if that's you, you can receive him today. It's by receiving what he has done for you on the cross as a free gift. It says elsewhere in the scriptures, to all who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You can receive him today. If that's you, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get you some resources, be a help to you on on this journey that we're all on. And then for those of you who are followers of Jesus, uh, let me just ask you a few series of questions here. Do you find that you might be living for riches a little more than you ought to be? Do you find that you might be living for food or material things a little more than you ought to be? Now, real quickly, we're not saying these things in and of themselves are bad, okay? The Bible doesn't say money's bad or material possessions or things are bad, but if we make those the ultimate things, if that's like what's going to define who we are, let alone our happiness and our joy and our... Then Jesus is saying, watch out, whoa, do you use your material things or you try to use or you think about your, your wealth, for instance, in ways of how you could utilize it to serve and care for others as God would want us to? Another question, do you find yourself living for happiness all the time in all ways? Or do you find yourself mourning from time to time and, and kind of trying to live from a spirit of, yeah, things aren't the way they ought to be and how, how can I join God in that? Last question, do you find yourself living for reputation? Maybe it's, just caring exceedingly much about what others think of you. It keeps you up at night. 
Or maybe it's shirking back from identifying as a follower of Jesus. If I can try to summarize Jesus' teaching here in these blessings and woes, I think the big idea Jesus is saying is live in light of eternity. Live in light of eternity. I mean, that's the language he's using here over and over. He said, blessed are those who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. You will be satisfied. You will laugh. Now, there is a joy available to you, to me, right now. That's what blessed means. It means to be, have this unshakable joy in spite of circumstances. And that's to say that, that this joy that you're living for in Jesus can only be robbed by these things like material possessions, wealth, reputation, and happiness all the time. There is a joy now, but there's an even greater joy to come. And you know, what's incredible about this is, you know, it doesn't take, I mean, this is low-hanging fruit to read this text and realize this is beautiful, wonderful, probably resonates with a lot of us. Followers of Jesus are like, oh yeah, I want to do this. It's low-hanging fruit to understand, though, also that this is hard. It's not easy. It's a challenge. But you know what's amazing about this text? Jesus is saying, by way of implication, if life is going to be hard, if it's going to include being poor, poor in spirit, poor in other ways, if it's going to include being hungry and hungry in, in different ways, if it's going to include, you know, people hating and insulting, if it's going to include those things, Jesus' broader point is those things then can only serve to make you stronger now and the next life all the more sweeter. Meaning even the hardest things in life, God is only going to turn to beauty. So, You are blessed in Jesus. Jesus wants to bless you. Will you lean into this cross-current kingdom even this week? Let's pray. Father, what what a beautiful yet challenging and wonderful set of of promises here. Father, we want to start by saying, yes, Lord, we are poor in so many senses. We're far poorer than we tend to, to recognize. So, so often we can think we've got it all worked out. We've got it figured out. Why, why do we need you? Why would we need a God? Why would we need your help? I, we, I've got it all worked out. But Father, would you help us understand at the soul level that we, we probably are also asking the same question at the same time, but is there more to life than this? And for some of us, we haven't experienced some of the real pain and suffering that's really kind of shaken us up to consider these things. So, Father, we just ask that you would meet us wherever we are and just draw us nearer to yourself. For those who are checking you out, trying to figure out, I pray that you'd speak to them, their own individual hearts as you would in in relationship to them. And And for those who do follow you, I pray the same thing. Help us to be followers of yours in this cross-current kingdom that you laid out. Father, would you help us be a church here at Current that in these ways holds out the love of Christ. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.